Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 8 to 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. All right, good morning, my name is Aaron. Uh, If we haven't met yet, I'm one of the pastors uh, here at Exilic, and I wanna welcome uh, you to our new space, especially if it's uh, your first time joining us. Uh, We are starting off a new collection of sermons uh, today that will take us all the way to Easter, And we are calling this new sermon series, uh, Winning Your Thought Wars. And one reason why we're going to be doing this series is this. About three years ago, uh, researchers at Queen's University in Ontario, uh, they discovered that on average, we have about 6,200 thoughts per day. Now, I remember when I saw that number, I thought to myself, I feel like six thoughts a day, (laughs) let alone 6,200 thoughts a day. Uh, But if you think about it, uh, our brains are working 24-7. And so even when we're sleeping, uh, we're thinking about something. And so our brains are running and racing uh, on a treadmill, even when we're sleeping. So from the moment that we wake up, we're thinking, I don't want to wake up. And then you're thinking, just five more minutes, and then you're thinking, no, I got to get up. And then you're thinking, shoot, there's three seconds left to cross the street. Should I do it or not? And then you're thinking, the subway comes. You're, like, you're thinking, which subway car do I jump on so that when I exit, the steps are like right there. So we're constantly thinking about stuff all the time. Two weeks ago, however, there was another uh, study that was done that discovered that we also, you know, most of our thoughts are passing thoughts, like I need to wake up or, you know, uh, should I get coffee or something like that. So they're not really positive or negative, but there is another study that recently came out that discovered that we have about 11 negative thoughts per day. Now, while 6,200 thoughts sounds like a lot, 11 negative thoughts actually sounds too little. So thoughts like, I hate my job, I hate my apartment, I hate my roommates, I hate my body, I hate my life. Like, how is that person dating and not me? (laughs) Or why are my parents such a drain on my life? They're like adults now. Why are they acting like such kids? So on average, we have about 11 negative thoughts per day. And it doesn't take a psychologist to understand that when you have all these negative thoughts that are baptizing you over and over and over again, these negative thoughts are going to do something to us. One of the, in my opinion, darkest psalms in the Bible is Psalm 88. And you know how the psalmist closes the psalm? Darkness is my only friend. 
That's how he ends the psalm. <laughs> Nothing redemptive. Like, it's my friend, darkness, my only friend. Charles Spurgeon, who also struggled with thoughts and depression, in a sermon on Psalm 88 says this. The mind can descend far lower than the body, for in it there are bottomless pits. The flesh can bear only a certain number of wounds and no more, but the soul can bleed in 10,000 ways and die over and over again each hour. And so what Spurgeon was experiencing here was the dark night of the soul. And maybe some of us here in this room have also experienced a dark night of the soul. I've experienced dark nights of the soul where you have insomnia and you try to do something or everything to fix your insomnia, but nothing works, right? So anxiety, self-hatred, bitterness, fear is just washing over you over and over again. And so when we have these negative thoughts, it's doing something to us whether we realize it or not. And so in a very non-judgmental way, if you were to do a thought audit or an inventory of your thoughts lately, how healthy have your thoughts been? In a very non-judgmental way, step outside of yourself and evaluate your thoughts. How healthy have your thoughts been uh, lately? And what kind of places are your thoughts taking you? Have your thoughts been taking you to very dark places, lonely places, maybe places of gratitude and thanks? But lately, where have your thoughts been taking you? And the reason why I say, where have your thoughts been taking you? And this is one of the keys for our sermon series uh, throughout the, the next few weeks is this. Craig Rochelle, in his book, Winning the War in Your Mind, says that our life is always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. Most of life's battles are won or lost in the mind. So I'll give you an example of this. So I, um, uh, this past week, I started watching a, this show called Physical. I don't know if you've heard of it. But Physical is about uh, these 100 people that are physical specimens. So MMA fighters, uh, sergeants, bodybuilders, CrossFit people, um, like just physical specimens, and they're competing against one another. And I remember after uh, watching the first two episodes, my first thought was, I need to go to the gym right now. <laughs> Why? Because your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. So where are your thoughts taking you lately? If we knew just how powerful our thoughts are and just how much they shape us, we would be more thoughtful. We would think more about what we think about if we knew just how powerful our thoughts are. But you know what? We would not only think more about what we think about, but we would also fight 
to think about the right things rather than acquiescing to our thoughts. And that's what Paul is talking about here. So take a look with me at verse 8. And he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And to put this verse into context, the Apostle Paul, who wrote about half the New Testament, is writing this letter to the church in Philippi from prison. If there was anyone that had the right to have negative, bitter thoughts, it is a man behind bars. Like, am I ever going to get out of here? Am I going to die in this place? God, where the heck are you? I thought you cared about me. If there was anyone that had the right to have bitter and angry thoughts, it's a man in prison. But you know what the dominant theme of this letter is to the church of Philippi? Here's Paul writing from prison. You know what the dominant motif and theme is of the, of the letter to the church in Philippi? It's not negative thoughts. It's joy. He talks about joy over and over again. Here is a man whose body is behind bars, but whose mind is free. And I know that there are some of you right now that might feel like you're stuck or you feel trapped and you have dark thoughts. But this is my prayer for every single one of us, that no matter how difficult your situation might be, that your mind would be free and not trapped by your thoughts. Dale Carnegie, uh, an author, once said, two men looked out from prison bars. One saw only the mud, but the other saw the stars. Paul saw the stars. And you know what? You can see the stars too. God may change your scenario or situation, but you know what? He might, he might not either. But if there's one thing that God is always interested in changing, it is you, even more than your scenario or situation. So how is Paul's mind able to be so free? Well, if you take a look at this verse again, Paul lists eight things for us to think about, and I'm not going to uh, go into depth about each of these things, right? Like whatever's true and noble, and uh, but I do want to make two comments or observations about these eight things. Uh, and the first thing is this, um, especially for those of you who have read the Bible before, uh, but Paul in his letter to the Galatians chapter 5, he lists nine things uh, that he refers to as the fruit of the Spirit. And they are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So he lists those nine things. But when you take a look at Galatians 5, those things are more things about the heart, like self-control and patience. But when you take a look at this list in Philippians 4, this is not so much the fruit of the spirit or fruit of the heart, so much as it is the fruit of the mind, 
These are the types of things that we have to be thinking about. The second observation that I want to make about these things is that when Paul says in his last phrase, think about such things, the word think that is used there is the Greek word logizomai. And you don't have to be a Greek scholar to know that the word logizomai sounds like the word logic. And so what Paul is saying about these eight things is that you have to logically think about them, ponder them, chew on them, gnaw on them, meditate on them, so that they sink deeper and deeper into your heart because what you think about ultimately shapes who you become. Uh, Descartes famously, famously said, I think, therefore I am, cogito ergo sum. And uh, Paul would agree with Descartes, I think, therefore I am. And what Descartes is saying there is, my thoughts validate my existence. But the Apostle Paul would take it one step further, and what he would say is that your thoughts not only validate your existence, but your thoughts also shape your existence as well. So in Proverbs 23, 7, this is why uh, the author of Proverbs says, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. So what you think about ultimately shapes the type of person that you become. So we have to be very mindful then of what we feed our minds. Right? We're very mindful of what we feed our bodies, whether you have a gluten allergy, you're lactose intolerant, which is like half of us, or uh, my daughter has a nut allergy. We're very mindful of what we consume and feed our bodies, but you know what? We're not as mindful of what we feed our imaginations and our minds. My wife was watching um, uh, a different Netflix show this past week, a reality show, and uh, I was like, oh, you know, Hannah, how, how is it? And she was like, I've watched two episodes and I can't watch anymore because it's so toxic. And that's the nature of reality TV, right? It's the opposite of, you know, whatever's true and noble. It's whatever's backstabbing and gossiping and the juicy stuff that we are drawn to. Um, and she realized that she can't feed her mind this because it's not healthy for her. We're mindful of what we feed our bodies, but we're not very mindful of what we feed our minds. And so that's something that we have to monitor over and over again, which is why Paul says uh, in verse 9, the way that we do that is this, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, uh, put it into practice. Or as one of my uh, old mentors used to say, Aaron, uh, what's caught is just as important as what's taught. What's caught with the eyes are just as important as what's taught with your ears. Okay. Can I give you a, uh, an example of this? Uh, so Heidi, who some of you know, is, my, uh, is our executive director, chief of staff, and my boss. And so one of the things that she recently implemented are performance reviews, <laughs> including one for myself. And uh, she strategically talked about my strengths first, buttered me up, and then she talked about my growth areas. My growth areas were a lot longer than my strengths. <laughs> they were actually a lot longer than anyone else's on staff. <laughs> and one of the things that she said that I need to work on, and for those of you who are in the tech world, you know this, is that I'm a thrasher, all right? 
Now, all of you might not know what thrashing means, but we, we live in New Woke City, so you need to learn. Uh, thrashing is when you change your mind a lot. So you know in the Bible it says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Thrashing is when you let your yes be yes, but then it turns into a no. And you let your no be no, but sometimes it turns into a yes. So I'll give you an example of this that was given to me that I had done. So we, uh, our anniversary service was at Mason Hall, if you remember, giant venue, one service, which was really cool. Like a month, month or two prior, we said, you know, should we do any decor? And I said, ah, it's such a big space, like it's novel enough, and the stage was like five times the size of this. We would need like a thousand poinsettias to like decorate the place, it's not worth it. But about a week or two out, I said, would it be okay if we do like a photo booth or something? And I changed our plans. And uh, one of the members of our staff said, uh, sometimes, so when you say something, we want to do it. But sometimes when you do things like that, you place an extra burden on us. And we want to do it because you're saying that, but just know that like, you're sort of making a mess and we have to clean it up. Thrashing. Uh, this past week, we were going to meet. Uh, we were supposed to, uh, so now that we have a, a space, we can meet in person for our staff meetings. And, um, but this particular week, we were going to just meet on Zoom. And I was talking with Heidi, and I said, you know, should we just meet in person? And you know what she said to me? She said, well, we decided already that we were going to meet on Zoom, and we should probably honor what we said so that we don't disturb people's schedules. And I stepped outside of myself for that moment, and I thought, oh my gosh, I'm a thrasher. I just, <laughs> just changed my mind again. But I, I, learned, I learned something from, I caught something from Heidi that day, because she's not a thrasher, and she stuck, sticks to her word. Whatever is admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy, think about those things. And that was a gift that she gave to me that I need to work on. And when I caught that with my eyes, new thought patterns began to form, new pathways in my mind began to form. And hopefully now the way that I live, how people experience me, Right, and that's a more important question than how I experience others. How do people experience me? Hopefully, that experience is a lot better because of that. So what's caught is just as important as what's taught. You know why I say that? Take a guess how many times the word Christian is used in the Bible. Three. Take a guess how many times the word disciple is used in the Bible. 269. If you're a follower of Jesus, we tend to use the word Christian a lot more, but in the Bible, the word disciple is used a lot more. You know what a disciple is? It's a student. But not in the Western sense, where we just go to class and read a book and download knowledge and regurgitate it. In a first century sense, a dis being a disciple was not just ma about mastering content. It was about mastering a way of life. This is why the 12 disciples didn't just go to a classroom or read a book. 
they ate with Jesus. They talked with Jesus. They traveled with Jesus. They Airbnb'd with Jesus. They did pillow talk with Jesus. They lived with the rabbi. Because Christianity is not just about mastering content, but mastering a new way of living as well. Jesus is the way to salvation, but he also teaches us a new way of how to live life as well. And the good news is that when you take a look at, around at this room, there are a crazy amount of resources that are at your disposal because we are the product of the people that we spend the most time with. There are so many incredible people that can change the way that you think, change the way that you, know, you do anything, whether it's regards to work or your relationships, that can change pathways and patterns in terms of uh, the way that you think. But you know what? It's not gonna matter how many resources you have unless you have the eyes to see and the ears to hear those things. And I think this is the, one of the things that frustrated Jesus the most here he is, he's always spending time with the disciples. But oftentimes he would say, are you still so dull? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you still not hear? So there could be amazing resources around, but unless you have the eyes to see and the ears to hear, it's not gonna matter very much. Following Jesus is not just about mastering content. It's about mastering a new way of thinking and living. Now, for those of you who uh, might not identify as Christian yet, and I know that there's a lot of you, I also want you to know that you are also a disciple. You are also a follower. Now, you might be thinking, I'm not really religious, though. But again, keep in mind that a disciple is someone that follows a particular way of life. So you might not necessarily be a disciple of Jesus, but you know what you are a disciple of? You are a disciple of the shareholders in Silicon Valley tech companies who set the exact rhythm and cadence of your life. Who feed you dopamine hits and make you addicts to it so that the first thing that you're thinking when you wake up is I need to look at my phone. We are all disciples of something that follow a particular way of living. We're all followers of something. The question is, is this way of life going to lead to me mentally breaking down? Or is it really going to liberate me, set my mind free, even when I'm behind uh, prison walls? If you take a look at verse 9, Paul says, and the God of peace uh, will be with you. Right before these verses is the, uh, are obviously verses 6 and 7, where Paul famously says, do not be anxious about anything, and the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind. Uh, in Christ Jesus. And so here, Paul is juxtaposing peace and the anxiety that we all feel in our heads. Um, there's a per personified story about death uh, that, uh, where death is walking into a city. 
And the gatekeeper says, stop right there. You're not welcome into our city. But seeing that he could not open death, death came up to him and said, I am going to kill 1,000 people today in this city. So the gatekeeper goes throughout the city warning everyone, death is coming, death is coming. But by the end of it, there weren't 1,000 people that were killed, but 10,000 people that were killed. So the gatekeeper grabs a hold of death and he says, I thought you were only going to kill 1,000 people. Why are there 10,000 people that are dead? And death responds by saying, I did only kill 1,000 people. Anxiety and worry killed the rest. We all suffer uh, from a sense of anxiety uh, that washes over us over and over, including me. I recently told our staff, I I want my heart to be overflowing, uh, but sometimes I feel like my mind is overflowing even more because there's always so much going on. But you know what's so incredible about God? You know what's so incredible? He never runs out of bandwidth. He's never mentally unhealthy. He never needs a digital Sabbath or a break from the news because it's just too much to handle. And the crazy part is he's omniscient. He sees everything that happens in the world, even the darkest, darkest stuff. And yet he's still a God of peace. And I want you to know that his will for your life is not to have a mind that is filled with anxiety and worry and fear and loneliness and depression or to have a mind that is triggered by everything. You know what his will for your life is? To have peace from your head all the way down to your toes. To have the shalom of God all the way from your head all the way down to your toes. To have that peace resonate uh, inside of you uh, through and through. And a part of the reason why we don't feel that peace oftentimes and we feel so restless is because, you know, one thing that God says to Isaiah is, these people's thoughts are not my thoughts. Their ways are not my ways. And oftentimes the reason why we suffer so much from a, a sense of restlessness is because we don't think like God. And the reason why we don't think like God is because we don't think about God. You know, oftentimes in my counseling sessions, I'll ask someone that is going through a very difficult time, how much time are you spending with God? Like word and prayer. 99% of the time is I'm not. And so think about it again. If we are the product of the people that we spend the most time with, and we are not spending any time with God, if we're not thinking about God, how are we going to think like God? Do you see the logic that's there? If we're not thinking about him, we're not going to think like him either. But you know what the crazy good news of this gospel we preach is? Even though we don't think about him, he's always thinking about you. You know, the greatest proof of that is is the cross. Oftentimes, we highlight Jesus' physical agony and spiritual agony But one thing we never talk about is the mental agony that Jesus faced on the cross. In his humanity, Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you ditched me? Why have you 
forgotten about me. And maybe there are times, maybe some of you right now where you feel like that. Like, God, where the heck are you? I thought you cared about me. But when you think about the cross, the reason why Jesus was going through that mental ang- anguish, the reason why he was forgotten is because Jesus, God was thinking about you the entire time. Because something mysterious and magical happens on the cross. On the cross, there is a brain transplant that takes place with his mind and our mind. I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of lungs from a lifelong cigarette smoker. It's like black. Now imagine the mind of a lifelong sinner who has 11 negative thoughts per day. And imagine how contaminated and dark that mind is. But on the cross, something magical happens where Jesus takes our minds and he puts it into his head. And he takes his mind, his pure mind, and puts it into us. He not only gives us a new heart, but he gives us a new mind. And therefore, we are a new creation and a new life that you can live where you are not trapped and enslaved by the thoughts that you experience. If you go to an airport, there are always those body scanners where you have to like lift up your hands, and those scanners can see right through everything. And you know what? God can see right through everything too. We are not mind readers, but he is a mind reader. But even though he sees the deepest recesses of your heart, the darkest thoughts that you have, he still loves you like crazy even the thoughts that we don't want anyone to hear. He still loves us like crazy. And so I think when you think about whatever is true, lovely, noble, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, it's him. And the more we think about him, the more we will think like him, and the more our lives will change. Perhaps this is why Jesus says that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind, and your mind as well. So let me close by saying once again that our lives will always move in the direction of our strongest thoughts. Where are your thoughts taking you lately? If you knew just how powerful your thoughts are, you would think a lot more about what you're thinking But not only that, you would fight to think about the right things and not the wrong things. Let's pray together. Oh God, this is uh, so tricky because when our eye causes us to sin, we can gouge it out. When our hand causes us to sin, we can cut it off. But how do we do that with our thoughts when they're not a material thing? very difficult. But Lord, teach us to keep our eyes on you. Help us to fight to think the right things. Help us to remove the negative thoughts and replace them with the beautiful things that you list in Philippians 4. And help us, as Paul would say, to set our minds on things above, not on things below. Help us not to let our thoughts control us but help us to control our thoughts and redeem them. Because when we change the way that we think, 
we can actually change the way that we live. Give us a grace for that. In your name I pray.